0: bye
1: Conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay area. I'm Tom.
0: And I'm Janet. And with us in the studio today is... Today's guest
1: is Roger German, who has been making guest waves for six years as president and CEO of the Florida Aquarium. Opened in 1995, the aquarium was a pioneer in what is now the booming channel district between downtown Tampa and Ybor City. Last year... 925,000 people visited the aquarium, the highest attendance in its history. Welcome, Roger.
2: Oh, well, it's great to be
0: here. Good morning. Uh, Roger, since your arrival, um, the aquarium's shift has focused from being largely a tourist attraction to conservation, highlighted by the opening of a $4 million sea turtle rehabilitation center. And now you have launched an ambitious $40 million expansion. Let's start with that. Talk about the expansion. What are you planning?
2: Yeah, it's it's an extremely exciting time here for the Florida Aquarium. And, and as, as you mentioned, you know, we, we, we opened up uh, back in 1995 and it's, it's really cool for a couple of reasons. So one is when I got here six years ago, one of the things I felt like, and especially when you live in Florida, when you live in Tampa Bay, you have this wonderful relationship with nature and marine life. So why do we work, live and play here? but um, it's for all of the uh, the reasons that surround us are under the water, above the water. So as the Florida Aquarium, how do we live into our name? And we've pivoted to, as you mentioned, a conservation-based aquarium rather than just seen as a tourist uh, uh, attraction. We still focus on tourism. We still focus on the economy. Uh, but uh, to who much is given, much is required, as my parents uh, reminded us. So that's that conservation uh, initiative. So that being said, 28 years later... We're in a position to be able to do our first and really large whole scale expansion and renovation. And it's $40 million. We're going to bring new experiences to the aquarium. Uh, we continue to, to drive, uh, this aquarium to, to, uh, to aspire to be the world class aquarium that the Tampa Bay community and quite frankly, the state of Florida deserves.
0: Can you tell us what some of the elements are of that expansion? what are the, the, the what, what is that what are we getting for that forty million dollars
2: Sure there's a couple of things so one is going to open up this summer um, that'll be phase one and that what that'll do is we're going to open up a new um, kind of exhibits gallery a special exhibits hall uh, and what that will do is that will allow us to bring in animals or compelling stories that are really topical, and every two to three years we will rotate those. So it's a great way to be able to not only Um, highlight animals and some of their conservation messages that normally you might not have at an aquarium. um, Or if there's a really, really hot topic that we want to tackle, we're going to be able to display those. That will open up this summer. And then from that point on until the culmination in the summer of 2025, so it's a three-year project, that uh, will will add new exhibits, new experiences. Uh, One of those highlighted will be a two-story puffin exhibit. Hmm. So if you think of puffins, they're kind of the more of the North Atlantic birds that look like penguins. They're super cool. But they Africa. eat them in Iceland, by the way. They do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I,
1: I think I had puffin. We did we have puffin. We had puffin, and it was tasty, you know, but the, they're also
2: really cute. They're super, super cute, Top. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing for all of us in the zoo and aquarium world, right? We care for these animals every day, and we find out that anywhere in the world, you know, they could be a culinary, you know, um, delicacy or just a, a, a staple, Um you know, from fish to other animals. But puffins will not be eaten at the Florida Aquarium. They will have a two-story, beautiful exhibit. We'll talk about their conservation programs. And then uh, in the summer of 25, it will end with a very large outdoor, state-of-the-art sea lion habitat that also has a new uh, expanded uh, penguin uh, colony uh, and program as well.
0: So are you expanding your footprint
2: with this? So we're expanding the exhibit experience experience. And we're expanding uh, the, 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 the experience footprint is what I would say. So right now, the work that we are doing is still within the confines kind of of the property lines. Mm-hmm. I think somewhere down the road, we may look at what that looks like going outside. But in the current footprint we have, we're really expanding the, uh, the, the current exhibit experience. Matter of fact, the, the one I, I mentioned earlier today, that's really converting a ballroom space into this new special exhibits gallery.
0: Our guest today is Roger German, CEO of the Florida Aquarium. If you would like to um, ask Roger a question or participate in the conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. Or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. Or you can text us at 813-433-0885. And um, we'd like to know, tell us... Have you been to the aquarium recently? What's your favorite thing to see there? What's your experience of being at the aquarium? You just celebrated your 28th anniversary three days ago. Is that correct?
2: It was March 31st, 1995. Set everything in motion.
0: I I remember going there when you first opened, and I went there doing overnights with my Girl Scout troop when uh, I was a Girl Scout troop leader. That was a lot of fun when my daughter was a little girl. And
1: USA Today readers have uh, named it one of the top... uh, aquariums in North America I believe right yeah North America yeah. yeah so that' that's pretty impressive
0: and you talked about new experiences one of the new ones that you started is the the sea Trek underwater tour how does that work
2: yeah so if you think about what our purpose is and one of the things is to save marine wildlife well one thing that we know uh, and has been proven is you care about things that you can they have a relationship with, right? And so being able to go underwater is pretty unique. And so the Florida Aquarium many, many years ago was one of the first, if not the first public aquariums to create a dive program. So Mm -hmm. you can be PADI certified, you can dive under the water, um, and have have an an unbelievable experience. COVID hit, and so one of the things we did was said, well, we're not sure how that plays out with underwater breathing apparatuses, but... What should we be doing if we want to come when we come out of COVID? And we rethought our whole entire program. That leads into we created a new program called Sea And so, what Sea is really interesting is um, you can start off at six years old. We're starting the program at 10. So, anybody who comes to the Florida Aquarium, 10 years old or older, and you don't even have to know how to swim. That's how this apparatus works. It's extremely safe. It was developed by folks who designed and built submarines. And so, you again, 10 years older, or older, don't have to know to swim, can put this helmet on and you can go underwater in one of our exhibits and you can walk on the bottom of the ocean floor with sea turtles swimming around you and sharks and fish. And-
0: Wait, it's just a helmet? But how do you stay weighted? So, do you have on weighted shoes or sounds something? sounds like
2: sponge divers. So, <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, so think of sponge diving, think of, you know, 20,000 leagues under the sea. It's a more modern size helmet, but the helmet is heavy enough that would, you know, keep you, you know, down on, on. on and we have divers in there, obviously, you know, making sure it's a fun and safe uh, uh, experience. But yeah, the helmet is heavy enough that it brings you down to the bottom as you walk down and you get a chance just to walk around the ocean floor.
0: How long are do you that. down there for?
2: Uh, you've got about twenty minutes or so that uh, that you get a chance to experience uh, the underwater life, and there's a whole educational component and curriculum um, uh, around it. But it has been a hugely, hugely popular program for us because, again, you've expanded kind of your mission that. Anyone 10 or older and you don't even know how to swim can actually get a chance You'd to You'd call
0: it sort of an immersive exhibit.
2: It is an immersive exhibit. An immersive exhibit.
0: experience. <laughs> um, do you, and is it an extra cost or is it part of the cost of admission? Yeah,
2: no, so it's an extra cost. You can go online to our website, flaquarium.org, and you can register. Or even if you're on site and we're offering to program and have a space for it, you can buy it uh, as you walk into the aquarium as well.
0: And what is the cost
2: Oh yeah, stump, that's a stumper oh, one stump question. CEO. So I, I know, like, <laughs> you know um, uh, includes ticket packages. honestly, I don't remember off the top okay. of my head, but okay. uh, go to the website and well, So what's the reaction it. been? Do you have a lot of kids? Do you have 10 year- olds going down there? Oh, it's it's been amazing, yeah, because there are there's, there's two programs, so one is that's two programs. They're kind of is two programs. So one is just the general public, and the, the, the reaction has been unbelievable. People didn't think they have a chance to you know, see marine life um, uh, up close, um, and it's been challenging people to like, think a little differently. The second program is more of a community program, same, same kind of concept, but really that focuses on breaking down barriers, especially for uh, uh, neighborhoods and populations that have no real maybe connection or affinity towards water.
1: Is this uh, in the giant tank? As I think of it, uh, when I go to the aquarium, the I think the most impressive thing to everybody is where you're seeing sharks swimming around, and you know, and, and then it's a very big tank, and, and you're. You're below the water yourself looking through the glass. Yeah, so, the so,
2: so, so very similar. It's actually our second largest habitat around the corner called Heart of the Sea. So it's still, uh, you know, very deep. It's got lots of uh, amazing animals swimming around you. But no sharks. Um, oh, there are sharks. Yeah, oh, sharks. They're they're sharks, sharks. there are sharks Okay. You know, what's interesting is even for, our, for the dive programs, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, there's sharks, there's sharks. One of the interesting, I'll say not quite myths, but, you know, our sharks, you know, they get fed great. They probably eat once, maybe twice a week. You know, they don't eat as much as one would think. And number two is it's usually the sea turtles, which are much more inquisitive. And so when you're underwater, you know, they're coming up and swimming and, you know, bouncing around with you. And the sharks are just like, All right, yeah, whatever. There's a person in here. Let's keep going. <laughs> I've been fed today. I'm okay.
1: And so there must be a lot of kids who go there and do this who have never experienced anything like
2: that. I mean... Can you Yeah. So, so we created. So, one of the great things about Sea Trek was not only are we offering. So, it's always offered, obviously, to the public. But when you think of like the general visitor, they have an opportunity to get in the water. But the secondary piece of that is is really to what you said. We created a community program that once a month we bring in. Especially, we our focus is on the youth. Um, we we bring uh, you know young people in to the aquarium and have an opportunity to do this for free. And and get a chance to again break down some barriers. So we launched the program in the summer of last year, um, and uh, and and you know the the mayor came and we brought eight uh, young African American boys from the Park District who really hadn't you know never really you know been in water, let alone you know good swimmers. And we said this is an opportunity to connect you. Um, and what was amazing was is all eight of those boys, we refer to them as the grade eight, because they're, they're the first ones to go in. They just, they took their time. They got underwater, eyes just, you know, wide open. And when they came up, um, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. One of the young men said, this must be what it was like when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. Huh. That was that life-changing moment of what we're hoping to do with programs like SeaTrek because you can break down those barriers um we can truly save the world at the end of the day.
1: That's that's really that's a really great story. I love that.
0: Um talk to us a little bit about um Coral conservation and the work that you're doing in the Florida Keys.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that, that a lot of folks don't realize is right here in the Tampa Bay region, we have one of the you know, preeminent coral research and science programs in the world. Um, and it's right here, and it's run by our scientists at the Florida Aquarium. And so we have a separate conservation campus out by Apollo Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what our coral scientists are doing every day is figuring out how, how to reproduce Uh, sustainable, uh, hardy coral Mm -hmm. to repopulate the Florida reef track. So I grew up in the Midwest. I didn't know this. And even here in Florida, you don't always talk about it. But the third largest barrier reef in the world right here in florida it runs from fort lauderdale basically to the dry tortugas so when you think about oh my goodness not only just the environment that we live in but the economy and how it all works together and our own quality of life i mean i think we've seen some more recent uh, um, weather events that you know can be attributed to maybe they're not slowed down as much with a healthy coral reef and and other things so we're doing amazing coral research and science uh, right here We've had uh, three global breakthroughs that have never been done before to to reproduce coral in a human human setting in a lab mm-hmm. lab. You made setting. national
0: news with that with the coral we reproduction.
2: We did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and fingers crossed that we're entering. It was coral like very famous sex season.
0: tape. It was a coral <laughs> sex tape. <laughs> it
2: was very white and everything. <laughs> it was all, it was all good, but it's it's really a, right. It's an important program to save coral reefs here in Florida, but around the world, and it's just it happens right here in Tampa Bay and. Um, We're very proud of that program. And are you
1: taking that coral that you're growing uh, to the Keys and trying to tell us about that? Because the Keys, you're right, I mean, they they are amazing, but they're not as amazing as they used to be because of pollution and climate change. Yeah, absolutely. So what's happening there as far as, have you been able to, to, to place this coral there? And is it taking root? And is it How's that
2: going? Yeah, so, so the, the restoration of the coral reef uh, down here in Florida is, I'm going to say it's still relatively new at the scale that it's at. So, so what we do is we focus on um, reproduction of coral. Um, and then when we have a bunch of coral babies... <laughs> One of the things we do is is rather than us we work with a lot of partners that are uh, down in the keys and we will ship those corals down or sometimes our staff will go down we will work with the the National Marine Sanctuary and we find locations and they will be outplanted both on a reef or sometimes in these coral gardens you see these PVC pipes that are out there to grow the coral depending mm-hmm. on what it is with the hopes of of being able to ensure that that coral reef remains. Because I think to your point, Tom, all of them, I remember going down in the 70s and snorkeling and yeah, it's much different. The colors are different, but it's still there. So how do we at least preserve the coral reef we have? Hopefully somewhere down the road, you can maybe rebuild it back, but the key would be how do we make sure that we stop the degradation and the loss of that reef for sure.
0: So that's where we're at now is just trying to maintain it. Yeah. where it's at right now. Yeah, there,
2: it, there's so many pressures. You're exactly right. Is there
1: a anything. coral reproduction season? Or do they, uh, t- tell us how this, I don't, don't know much about coral sex, so explain <laughs> to us uh, how, how corals reproduce. Oh, no,
2: that's, that's a great, great question. They, so they are, it is a season, um, and we're about to enter the season. The earliest part of coral reproduction maybe happens in mid-April, but typically like a May through August, um, it is all aligned with the moon cycle and the tides, literally. So you're, you're exactly right. So we can, you know, our teams who need to be out in the field can enjoy nine months of their, you know, of, of time. And then all of a sudden, it's, boom, it's go time. And so we're starting to enter that. And uh, yeah, all based on, um, again, moon cycles and light cycles. What's really interesting, I'll add one more, is one of the things we had a breakthrough on at the Florida Aquarium is, replicating the moon cycles, but out of cycle, if that means sense. So if you mm-hmm. think about this, right? One, So one of the big issues that happens with coral and most kind of conservation programs is there is a season to reproduce, right? So if you only reproduce once a year and you have incredible pressures, you know, man-made, you know, Nate, Mother Nature, everything else. You can't keep up with the changing times. Mm -hmm. So we produce our coral once a year. But what we did uh, recently was we were able to work with some folks over in London and be the first to, to reproduce this Atlantic coral is how do you produce it out of cycle? So right now we're able to produce certain coral four times a year. And it doesn't mean you've sped that coral up, you just shifted the season, right? So the whole goal is if you can produce obviously more coral, um, within a within a twelve month cycle, you can put more coral back in the ocean to help have that uh, that opportunity so it still only breeds once a year it 's just one group's in may now, one group's in october, and so on
1: and are they taking root in the keys? Is this going to work, or is the environment there still so dicey that you know all this work is going to be for naught or
2: what, what's yeah. your
1: experience so far been
2: so 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 far i'm like i 'm going to say we 're very hopeful we 're very hopeful and we 're very encouraged. Um, we're learning a lot because it's just bleeding edge, cutting edge science right now. Um, There's two ways, I'll I'll, I'll say this, there's two ways that you can also um, reproduce coral. One is called fragging and fragging means you just break a piece of coral off, you plant it and it grows. The second piece was what we do is we really focus on genetics for a lot of the reasons. And so we're reproducing coral. But when you focus on genetics, you can maybe have it more heat tolerant or Mm. maybe it deals with a stony tissue disease a little differently so that you're putting. And so we're tag teaming with a lot of our colleagues. Um, So to answer your question is initially we're seeing good progress, but it's still very, very early to put the type of um, uh, animal or the coral out there, as well as in certain cases, like I mentioned, stony tissue disease, you want to make sure that disease runs its course too, right? To your point, if you put it back out there and whoop, it's still there, that didn't work. So we're letting a little bit of mother nature play itself out, but um, uh, we're very hopeful, uh, very encouraged, um, and we'll continue to do the work as, as much as we can.
1: Now, a couple of years before you got here, uh, the aquarium uh, struck a, an arrangement with, uh, uh, with Cuba mm-hmm. to uh, do research on their amazing coral uh, because, they, because they've, had so, they've not had the development pressures that, that, that the Florida Keys has had. Their coral apparently is almost pristine. Uh, so, what happened to that project? Is that still going on? Did you take a pause? What's happening there?
2: Yeah, that project is still going on. I think the, the only pause that we had more recently with you know with COVID was just some travel, um, so we weren't doing some things in person. But our our, our relationship is still very strong. We're still exchanging information um, where appropriate. We can exchange uh, certain samples. And, and and you're right, the 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 program's focus is so for us. Here in the United States, we want to learn from them and, and maybe look at, again, various uh, genetics. So, for instance, the, you know, I mean, based just on pure latitude, you know, the coral in, in, in Cuba uh, and the Caribbean can uh, is more heat tolerant, right? So you see that warming. So you want to make sure mm-hmm. that we're doing our part here. On the same side, especially when it comes to our friends on Cuba, is how do we also help protect and preserve those uh, those reefs as well? Um, they are starting to see some of the pressures that we've seen here in the Keys, um, you know, for a few years. But so far, Is that because of climate change or pollution? All, all of right. the above. All you know, of, okay. ev- even just the fact that, you know, we're a global, you know, economy and, a, you, know, you know, boats moving around and everything. So, um, and much as we say, right, 90 miles is, you know, there's a different on the... The, the spectrum of humanity you know in the water that's that's there there's no there's no countries or divides or anything mm-hmm. like that it just flows so. so your
1: staff goes down there and uh, to their coral reefs and to do research
2: yeah we're gonna yeah we're gonna re- revise our staff going down they had gone down for a little while and then like I say during COVID they we stayed here uh-huh. for, for certain reasons but yes absolutely we want to exchange information and you know kind of human capital
1: and I understand recently the Cuban ambassador was here and met with the aquarium Did, was that is, is yep. that, and and how did that go? Was that just to further discuss this uh relationship and try to strengthen it or
2: yeah I think it, it you know it was, it was always a good check in right It's always yeah. a good check in to say you have this you know memorandum of understanding you ha- you have this relationship how's it going yep you know to your point and and we talked about just again we are you know exchanging the science because it's good for all of us and you know again just gave a a brief little update of you know all the good work we're still doing
1: has the political atmosphere uh become challenging for this kind of project or is because it's science, it's okay? Is that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I
1: mean, Cuban ambassador met with, you know, three elected officials and people lost their minds, but they, the Cuban ambassador met with you and nobody seems to care.
2: Yeah. No, I I think the science piece of that is exactly right. I mean, we, we, we stay in our lane, right? We, we, we really are making sure that, you know, this is important both, you know, for both countries. And, and if you have to go more of what's important for Florida, and I mean, I would argue that, right, I mean, that's, it's good you, for you our You can learn from each other, too. We can. I,
1: when I, I worked at Eckerd College for a couple of years, and their researchers were going down there to study manatees. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the manatees there are, are protected to a certain extent, but not quite as much as they are here. In fact, people will still capture manatees in Cuba and eat them, which is obviously illegal, but, <laughs> you know, they're, they're a very poor country, and so... There's a lot of meat on a manatee. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I don't
1: know if that's continuing with Eckerd, but uh, it's good to hear that you're still doing it with, uh, despite the political climate that we're experiencing right now. Yeah.
2: No, we're definitely stuck. It's it's for the right reasons. And we'll always continue to do the right things. And in this particular case, it's a wonderful relationship based on science.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers and WMNF. And our guest is Roger German, CEO of the Florida Aquarium. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Um, have you been to the aquarium recently? What's your favorite experience there? You can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. That's exactly what David Bryant did. He sent us an email at dj at wmnf.org. And he says, I used to work at florida aquarium it was a fun place to work one thing that folks always used to ask me is where is the dolphin exhibit are there any long-range plans to add a dolphin exhibit and second question one of the best events that we held when i worked there was the sushi showdown is there a possibility of bringing that back i was told the animals in the aquarium's tanks were not used for the sushi (laughs) servings so two questions dolphin exhibit and sushi showdown
1: you mean people are eating sushi at the aquarium?
2: That seems a I'm little... I'm surprised
0: you even served s- fish sandwiches there.
2: <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, so, <you laughs> keep know, it to hot
0: dogs. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, there, so I, I've been... If I can digress for a moment, right? So, I, so I've been in the, in the the zoo and aquarium world for 23 years, and we always laugh because here in the aquarium world, we talk about, you know, sustainable seafood, right? That you really have an opportunity to have choices and enjoy if, you know, if if, if you're into fish... You know, or, or seafood, you know, you can pick the right seafood and you can enjoy it. And every once in a while, we get these, you know, folks or comments where it's like, how could you do? Because you see the fish. And I always laugh because I'm, you know, I, I visit, you know, other zoological institutions, you know, I've walked through, you know, um, Kid farms and things like that, and you know, there's the hot dog or the burger Mm -hmm. or the bison. I'm going. They never get any of that. Everybody, everybody (laughs) talks about the aquarium and the fish, and it's like, you know, it's going to have the lamb kebab at the children's zoo. You're like, what the heck? (laughs) So anyway, not to pick on my friends, but it's very funny. But. There is a legitimacy to it because there is a sustainable seafood program that we have that is, and there's some great sustainable locally sourced seafood right here in Florida that are doing it right from shrimp to to cobia and other. So it is really, really just pay attention because not every, um, you know, seafood is exactly the same. But, oh, that's but,
0: interesting. Yeah. I, I, I love because it it's so hard to find sustainable seafood, I it, think. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be a pretty discriminating shopper about that. Um, we go down to the shrimp docks. We buy... Uh, a shrimp at the shrimp docks, um, kind of near you guys. Yeah. Um, any other recommendations on that? I'd love to hear that.
2: Well, if you go, if you go to our website, um, you can uh, download a, a sustainable seafood cart, seafood watch, and you can and, and look and see what's red, green, and yellow. Um, and then one of the things that we are looking at and trying to explore as well is how can we make sure we're matching with, to your point, the local uh, connection. Because that's another big thing, and then making sure that people have the opportunity. Because you know, farmed salmon doesn't necessarily mean good. Right. right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, and there's and there's some purveyors. So, um, uh, what I'll do too is I'll double check just if we can offer some more. Uh, uh, resources to be able to go find, whether it's local or just making sure you're doing the right thing. The, the Seafood Watch card has a lot of information on it. So make sure you buy this over this. And Oh, that's
0: fantastic. So, yeah. so that's yeah. on your website. What's the website? So just...
2: FLAquarium.org. FLAquarium.org.
0: Yeah. So back to Dave's question, a dolphin exhibit, any plans for a dolphin exhibit?
2: There, there's, there's no plans for a dolphin exhibit at this point. Um, again, we're focused on, uh, on sea lions. You know, we do run a dolphin cruise every day. Um, you know that uh, weather permitting that goes out into the bay, um, and I think the numbers are somewhere around eighty to eighty five percent of the time Great. you either see a dolphin or a manatee or something you know uh, you know just a wonderful ninety minutes on the water and get to appreciate it so
0: and is that also included with the mission, or is that an extra that, that is an extra charge you okay. have to go out on the boat
1: well, people are fascinated by dolphins. I walk down bayshore Boulevard, and if I see a crowd around the balustrade, I know there 's a dolphin dancing around there because they 're just you know they 're amazing animals but they also take a lot of room, don't they? I mean, if, if you were going to try to accommodate dolphins in the aquarium, wouldn't you have to have a lot of space?
2: Yeah, you'd, yeah, absolutely. You'd, have, you'd, you'd build a, uh, a very large uh, aquarium that would would uh, accommodate them, but it can be done and it can be well, done. Well,
1: they did, did it in Clearwater, so if you want to go yeah. see dolphins, you can go there.
0: Um, we've got an, an email from Pete in Indian Shores, and he asks... Um, uh, he wants to know, Roger, uh, if the reef that you described that goes from here to the Tortugas will be around for another 100 or 200 more years.
2: Well, uh, if it's up to the Florida Aquarium and hopefully up to our friends like Pete, yes, it will be around. Uh, again, I have I have hope that we can uh, make sure that we at least, at minimum, maintain that coral reef, the Florida reef track. Um, there are a lot of organizations like uh, the Florida uh, Fish and Wildlife, FWC. There's the federal government. There's organizations like the Florida Aquarium. There's individual folks who are who care about it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful um, that it'll be around for that length of time.
0: What yeah. other conservation programs do you have? Can you talk more about some other conservation programs that you have yeah, in so, addition to coral?
2: Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that we do. We're, again, trying to be a conservation-based aquarium. So we have a sea turtle rescue and rehabilitation program. Um, and so, uh, again, at our Apollo Beach campus, and although we have some animals that are on site and Channel side, um, but you know, this is kind of we're coming out of the what I call the cold stun season, so mm-hmm. which is basically frostbite for for turtles. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also, you know, finding you know. Um, uh, fishing line and, you know, other diseases that are there. But yeah, I mean, turtles is probably our next biggest program in conservation. Um, In fact, last week we were able to uh, reintroduce uh, another sea turtle back on the East Coast and swam away and has a satellite oh. tracker. And now we can, you know, kind of track them where they're going and follow and see, make sure that we, again, have science behind that. But really every animal at the Florida Aquarium, we have some conservation program to it. Um, you know, whether we're, we're, we're collecting data for science and sharing that with universities or other NGOs, um, you know, whether we are, uh, you know, directly contributing to another conservation program. So, for instance, we do a lot when it comes to our penguins. One of the reasons we're going to expand our penguin program uh, in this new capital expansion, is to uh, to be able to bring to have more birds, so we can uh, be part of a breeding population. Because right now, the size of our penguins uh, program, uh, or the size of the, the colony that we mm-hmm. have, allows us to do a lot of in-field work. So we have people and and resources that go to like South Africa or Namibia to help with the penguins. That's our focus right now. But if we're able to do more right here in Tampa Bay as well, um, you know that that's hugely helpful. So you
0: guys are really a global organization. We are. We absolutely all are. over the world. Yeah, and
2: that's one of the reasons. So, Pete, so folks, so the special exhibit gallery will allow us to, you know, bring animals in. I think showcase animals and conservation programs around the world. Um, I'll, I'll lean into a little bit. Somebody said, "Well, why do you have sea lions?" Um, uh, you know, but some of the the sea lion challenges that are not only just you know along the California coast and the Pacific Northwest, but are in South America and other places are very similar, even to our own manatee challenges. They are challenges of you know uh, encroachment or climate change or you know, uh, food sources that are depleted and so our focus would be, you know, you get a chance to come up close, per, you know, potentially personal with a sea lion, hard to do that with a manatee, mm-hmm. um, both uh, lots of reasons, including legally, um, but um, but yeah, and so we want to make sure we keep telling those stories, but definitely having that global. Last
1: year was a rough year for manatees, right? I mean, it was. Uh, and, and and what's the what's the pro- progress? What's the prognosis? I guess I should say for for our manatees going forward. What, and the biggest challenges uh, besides boats, I guess boats are the biggest threat, but. We've had uh, manatees starving. They've been feeding them lettuce. What, 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 are you, what what's your thought on this?
2: That's 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 really the biggest challenge. Um, the biggest challenge is their food source. I mean, yes, you have you know some human issues here and there, but really it's their food source. Um, you know, we we see reports a lot of you know seagrass and other uh, you know I mean their nutrients just you know um, just depleted. Um, and because so- of. Pollution? Yes, I mean it's a whole series of things. Yeah. Um, pollution's one. Um, uh, you do have things, uh, you know, development. You're just trying to make sure that you're making sure you're not removing, you know, enough of the seagrass from, uh, uh, you know, sources. Um, so that being said, there's some pressures that are out there, but I, but I, what's what's holding so far. Are a lot of the zoos and aquariums, mainly here in Florida. It's a few outside of Florida who are really stepping up to do rescue and rehabilitation.
0: Do you get involved in advocacy at all, or or is that? Not an option for you?
2: Yeah, no, no. We, no, we do. It depends on it depends on the situation. Um, you know, we try to, and, and where our advocacy is, is really, we try to, again, make sure that that trusted voice for the Florida Aquarium is grounded in science and facts and not politics and partisanship or, you know, beliefs. And so, you know, where appropriate, we are going to, as a conservation-based organization, use our voice to speak up for, um, you know, especially marine life. Um, and to your point, some of these Issues can be policy. Some of these issues can be just rolling up your sleeves and saving an animal. Some of these issues can be just lifestyle changes of, you know, maybe not using single-use plastic and things like that or fertilizers at times.
0: Oh, you guys were involved in the um, the single-use plastics. I remember you were one of the first folks to sign on to the straws, yep. right, when they were uh, stopping using straws, I think, in Hillsborough County or, yeah, we, or Tampa?
2: Yeah, yeah. we were, dri- were engaged in that. Absolutely. We were driving one of those, and what we tried to do is make it – one of the interesting pieces is, I think, when you find a conservation is, you, you know, you don't, we're in a society where everybody's telling you don't, 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 don't. Right. Mm-hmm. So we try to take a little different approach, more in a positive, you know, that, you know, a, a positive choice today has a positive choice for, you know, the animals, people, humans, and positive choice for tomorrow. And so that whole program was based on more of like a challenge. It was, you know, we're going to stop using single plastic, you know, uh, single use plastic straws We're mm-hmm. challenging you, you know, the buccaneers or the, you yeah. know, the, Tampa Bay the airport yeah. the airport yeah and so you saw that organically go more from a positive standpoint to try to change and and what i'll say is look there's a long way to go but you i know when i go out personally you definitely see more and more organizations making the choice, whether it's paper straws, no straws, whatever those are. I
0: changed my behavior. It changed my behavior. I think it worked. I mean, I don't, I will not, if someone gives me a straw, I don't ask for one, but if they give me one, I don't use it. Yeah. You know, so I, I feel like it was an effective campaign, at least- from, this, from my personal standpoint, a one-person focus group on that.
2: No, I appreciate it. Well, I, I will say from our standpoint, our family, I have two young kids and my wife, and when they bring us a straw, we always say, no thanks, we want to save a sea turtle. And I will say that 80% of the folks who are you know, the wait staff, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So there's a teachable moment there mm-hmm. too. And, uh, and you can definitely tell more people are in tune with it.
0: Um, our guest today on Wavemakers is Roger German, CEO of the Florida Aquarium. And we will be right back after this the Lulu's from Tuesday afternoon on W M F. Tropical Heat Wave, May 6th at the Cuban Club in Ybor City. Hey, and dig this lineup. Shamika Copeland, the Seratones, Elon Jewel Band, GA20. Love, Rocket 88, Afghan Will Travel, Laura Rain and the Caesars. The Vodka Nuts, LPT Salsa, Talk to Marv. Snazberries, Cottondale Swamp, Mega Dog, G in a Cup. And it all kicks off with the Gulfport Gecko Amalgamated Marching Band. See you there. Get your tickets at WMNF.org. And that is Tropical Heat Wave coming up. You don't want to miss that. Um, We're here today on Wavemakers with Roger Roger German, CEO of the Florida Aquarium. If you want to join the conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. So in addition to conservation and advocacy, you're also doing a lot of... um, work in the community. Uh, one of the the projects that you're working on is that you're um, teaming up with Feeding Tampa Bay to help combat food insecurity. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so um, about six months ago, we um, uh, brought on a new uh, food and beverage partner. Um, and uh, a couple of reasons. Sustainability was first and foremost um, locally sourced. That was one of their priorities. We want to make sure we're not only uplifting our communities, but also right, having as least amount of impact on the environment as we can. Um, what that lead, led to is what you, you just mentioned, Janet, which is the fact that um, you know, sometimes we have events that are at the aquarium and, you know, you may have uh, some extra, you know, food um, uh, around. And so there are very strict programs, but wonderful programs um, where you can make sure that that excess food goes to a good cause. And so our friends at Partners at Feeding Tampa Bay, we have a wonderful relationship with them. Um, and when we find ourselves in, a, in one of those situations, we're able to repurpose any of the unused clean, you know, all the good food mm-hmm. unused um, through their program and help making sure that we are feeding, you know, um, those who are in need here in Tampa Bay. And it's a great, great partnership and program.
0: And you also have a new position, a senior vice president of community engagement and social responsibility. So tell us about that.
2: Yeah. One of the things that, again, to be a conservation-based aquarium, you have to be honest with yourself and, and evaluate What is working and what isn't working? And one of the things, again, I've been in this business for 23 years, um, and one of the challenges that we have from a conservation movement standpoint is in order to save the planet and marine life, you have to have a very large tent, and we talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. But realistically, at the end of the day, sometimes based on a lot of reasons and factors. You know, the tent's a little bit smaller than needs to be. So we made a decision um, to to create this brand new position, which is really new for the zoo and aquarium field across the country, if not around the world. And really to focus again on not only just a different level of community engagement, but that social responsibility. And so we're ta- we're taking on some of the challenges of the day, um, especially in some of the underserved, underrepresented communities that may not either you know have an affinity towards the aquarium. Or even worse, towards nature and water. And so, this position, we recruited a gentleman who uh, used to work for the Chicago Bulls for 23 seasons, and mm-hmm. really drove, you know, the NBA and, and a lot of uh, uh, professional sports into that social responsibility space. And um, and so, uh, it's a new position, but it's it's reaping a lot of the rewards already. And and as I mentioned, the seatrack program earlier, just even of that alone, that program, which is, you know, bringing you know folks in to not only the aquarium but underwater, um, is you know, it's pretty magical and amazing. But long way to go, um, but it's a great pilot. Well, so there are,
1: you, you, your aquarium is located not far from uh, a lot of uh, subsidized housing, uh, uh, kids yeah. who may not have a lot of means, uh, and the aquarium is literally just maybe a bike ride away, and they probably had never been there, and now they're being exposed to it?
2: You're right. No, that's exactly right. That's you, you, what you— we know that when, you know, folks feel that they belong, they're welcomed, you know, that th- they will do those things. And you're exactly right. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many kids or even adults who live within, to your point, not quite a golf ball swing, you know, drive, mm-hmm. who've never been, who are now coming. Yeah, that's great
0: last week there was quite a stir. Everybody was very excited in Tampa about Jane Goodall being in town and she <laughs> was at the um, Tampa theater, but also at Florida aquarium. What was she doing at Florida aquarium?
2: It was, it was a true honor to have, 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 uh, uh, Dr. Goodall at the aquarium. So we had a, uh, an event, a private event that evening for a fundraiser for the Jane Goodall Institute. And, and, and some of those funds went to support our conservation programs at the Florida aquarium. But, uh, um, just kind of an intimate evening where we spent time uh, hearing from from her uh, and interacting and, you know, just that positive message of hope. And, um, you know, really, um, we're one of the first aquariums to have her because normally she'll, you know, do other you know, theaters or zoos especially. Um, but the work that we're doing and getting noticed from our conservation work, um, you know, when he gets noticed by a Dr. Jane Goodall is pretty amazing. So she was, uh, it was just great to have her there and- um yeah, I just I'm almost a feature still a little bit. I mean when you meet someone like her. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it was her, birth, her birthday, I think is actually today, technically. So we celebrated her birthday last week as well. And mm-hmm. so to be able to celebrate a birthday on a personal level and toast and host, and it was just Right, I think magical. she says, she,
0: doesn't she drink a bourbon every day or something? Whiskey, Whiskey every day, yeah. yeah. I love good, Jane Goodall. Good. I love good. her more now, <laughs> <laughs> knowing uh, this about a, her. <laughs> a little tote of
2: famous grouse every evening. <laughs> um,
0: and speaking of which, we didn't ask this earlier, but when you talked about fundraising for the Goodall Institute, how are you doing on fundraising for your expansion? We just, just forgot to 40 ask million $40 million is a
2: lot of money. $40 million is a lot of money. Um, look, I, 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 I would say a couple of things. One is we have no, no reason to think we won't raise the money. Um, you know, we've got a lot of resources that we have been, um, you know, putting away from the aquariums uh, over the last few years. So we've got our resources. Um, the philanthropic community is is hearing more and more about this and is starting to step up. A lot more, you know, with, with meaningful leadership gifts. We're still kind of in that silent leadership phase, as you mm-hmm. all know, in the fundraising world. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a three-year uh, capital campaign, and, and, uh, and, and we're very confident that we will and how, raise how far, all funds. how
1: far along are you now?
2: Halfway or— so, uh, I would say that we are at least in hand as a third of the way. We've got another third that will probably wrap up here in the next few months So uh, and then close it out over the last few years. So, um, yeah, we are well on yeah. our way in a, in a great place. That's great.
1: So, now, you're very passionate about uh, the aquarium and conservation but you mentioned you grew up in the Midwest, so how the heck did you get
2: here? <laughs> I <I-75>. seventy-five,
0: <laughs> just like
2: everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Look, I, I grew up in uh, in the, the south uh, west side of Chicago. Um, you know, kind of in the blue collar. Hard Scrabble neighborhoods, but, uh, yeah, re- realistically, um, I mean, every summer, um, or some version of a winter, you know, either my grandparents snowbirded down here or we drove down. So we knew a little bit about the Tampa Bay region, both my wife and I who didn't grow up in the same area, but you just made that trek from Chicago, uh, you know, regularly. So we knew enough about Tampa Bay, um, I started my career in television, worked in politics for a long time in Chicago and Illinois, and wow. I said uh, I went to the Shedd Aquarium in 2000, and somebody asked me why, and I said, well, the sharks didn't bite as bad at the Shedd Aquarium as they did in City Hall in Chicago, and so, you know, the political sharks, so I made that move, and the rest is history, um, and I knew my pred- I knew my predecessors. Um, you know from uh, uh, john racanelli who started the aquarium to jeff Swanigan, who was here for a while and eventually left to go build the georgia aquarium and tom stork who was my predecessor mm-hmm. as well long is, day, long you filled
1: there tom stork absolutely. was absolutely was a legend around here
2: he was he was well, the
0: first ceo so you're just the second ceo of the no, aquarium third, no, right? third, third? john
1: racanelli was the oh. first oh Ra- yeah racanelli
2: Swanigan, oh okay stork and then myself then oh. german
1: and let's face it the aquarium did has has, has it's not always been just going up like a rocket, there were some rough periods. In fact, I'd like to go back to the very beginning and give somebody credit for the Florida Aquarium, which would be Sandy Freeman. She Mm -hmm. was the mayor at the time. The idea came to her. And if uh, memory serves, she was a little reluctant about it because, you know, she had a hockey arena that she was also building and lots of other issues. But she embraced it, made it happen. You weren't here then.
2: Um, And as uh, memory serves, there wasn't much there. No, I, I, I'm a I'm a history buff, so I got a chance to go through like archives and look at those photos. And you are right; there was not much there at no. all. The Channel um, District
1: didn't exist basically; they didn't have that name. There were it was an
0: industrial of, area; it was yeah, just all industrial
2: warehouses and banana you know, docks, warehouses.
0: Absolutely, yep. yeah. A yeah. few artist studios. And, so I think yeah. a lot
1: of people probably wondered, "Wait a minute, what are you doing putting that thing there?" But
2: How's it turn out? Oh, it's turned out fantastic. Yeah, you're right. Look, the early history, um, you know, maybe wasn't as uh, as glamorous or as successful as we like, but we're still standing. We're standing stronger than ever. As record you mentioned, attendance nine, record year. attendance. Yeah. You know, uh, revenues were growing in every category, not just physically, but you know, in our conservation programs, our education programs. Um, but yeah, no, no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it was so. You, you had Mayor Friedman. You had some visionary folks, right, who had this concept originally, um, folks like... Uh uh, you know, Bill Crown over in, in, in Clearwater. It was originally going to be built in Clearwater. That's right? the original plan, right. And then it came over here. But, you know, a couple of the folks, Jimmy Furman, uh, Tom Hall, mm. uh, the the, re-cre- the creation at that time of the da- Tampa Downtown Partnership were all very much at play along with Mayor Friedman to attract mm-hmm. this particular investment. And the rest, again, as you said, is history. Well, in
1: some ways, yeah. I think it was it was kind of within the context of other cities were building aquariums. We should build one too. Yeah. You know, this is going to help read develop uh, downtown. They tried it in Baltimore and Boston, I guess, and San Diego. Or Mon- I, I can't remember all of them. Um, and I think a lot of people were thinking, well, you know, why why an aquarium? But it seems to have worked pretty well. But since then, what's happened around you?
2: Yeah. I, I, I Well, I'll, I'll answer one question, which is oftentimes when I'm asked those questions about, oh, we're thinking of this as an aquarium. One of the things... Look, we're a nonprofit, so it's a shameless plug, right? But one of the things that's been very interesting in the regentrification of communities and urban settings is the aquarium is probably one of the last ones you want to build. So the forward thinking of the Tampa the Tampanians to do this because they are extremely um, expensive to operate. As you can imagine, it's you know like a hospital, twenty four seven care, yep. pumps, everything is going on. Where you know right. you, you can open a, a certain museum, and I won't characterize right, but you or a the festival marketplace. That was another thing Tampa tried. That didn't work. Right. But yes, yeah, so, you know, so, I mean, so usually we'll tell folks you don't want to, you don't want an aquarium to be the anchor. Now that being said, i go back to what you said. So, um, I mean, look, you've got $4 billion worth of renovation and redevelopment that's been happening around us, you know, led by Jeff Minnick and the Cascade Group, which has just transformed, um, you know, that whole downtown area. You've got Daryl Shaw now, who's, you know, looking at Ybor City and Gasworks and the Marina District. So, um, I think that, you know, Mayor Friedman and a lot of those visionaries um, who saw this type of development and and gentrification of a downtown community, they're realizing it today, maybe a little longer than they wanted originally. But it is here, and it's here to stay,
0: and it's amazing. Well, I mean, you've been here for six years. Yeah. You've seen— I- You've yeah. seen a massive transformation. So much of what's down there was not there six years ago even. I mean, let alone 30 years Spartan ago. But North,
2: just, Water Street yeah. wasn't well, there. And that's one of the things that attracted me. So so I knew, I knew Tom Stork. Um, you know, I knew the Florida Aquarium, great reputation. Um, and when the opportunity came. But the other part of that is when you take on, I always say you take on DNA of where you grow up, right? So if you grew up in the city of Chicago, there's a couple of things that are there. The city burned down by fire. It was rebuilt. Folks like uh, Daniel Burnham and, you know, and, and Frederick Law Olmstead, so point there is like this urban planning kind of becomes a little part of your DNA. So when I had, when I saw what was happening down here, not just at the aquarium, but what was going to happen to build this, you know, 21st century city, it's like, man, you want to be in the middle of that too. Um, so that was super attractive. And and as you said, Janet, I mean, there was nothing here even, you know, almost six years ago when I got here. Now it's, you know, my kids were born downtown Chicago, so they like the buildings and we like that too. And mm-hmm. so they're seeing a little more of that on a water street and it's fun to see and fun okay. That. Where we go,
1: and then the Riverwalk. You talk about something that has, sometimes it takes a while. The Riverwalk was something that uh, mayors over decades uh, tried to finish, and they're still working on it. They still want to expand it. Uh, how does the Riverwalk fit in with the aquarium?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of conversation, you know, with the, the community, the city, the port about, especially Terminal Two, um, trying to get that waterside area um, uh, open to the public, um, and um, because again, I I, I think. Well, you all have been here for a long time, and mm-hmm. this was an interesting building of Tampa where it's almost as back was to the water across, right? And everything is starting to flip, whether you're over at Curtis Six and Park, you know, whether you're, you know, uh, um, Armature Works. Uh, and now that kind of movement is starting to come around the southeast section where the Florida Aquarium is and, and others. And we're hopeful that uh, we can find a solution at least behind Terminal 2, uh, you know, here in the next few months with help from the, you know, the port, the city and the community.
0: You're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF and our guest today is Roger German, CEO of the Florida Aquarium and we will be right back after this. Hey Ed, you want to play What If? Sure. How do you play? easy. Just imagine something that you'd like to see happen. Like having it ring tacos on Tuesday? Or how about a four-hour block of folk and acoustic music on WMNF? You don't have to imagine that. It's happening every Sunday morning, starting at 10 a.m. with Postmodern Hoot Nanny, hosted by me, Ed Lehman, featuring you and exciting Americana music along with classic folk favorites. And that's followed at noon for two hours with the Acoustic Peace Club, with me, Jeannie Holton, and Nathaniel Cox, featuring the best of folk and singer-songwriters with great topical songs and music that matters. Get your four-hour fix of folk music every Sunday starting at 10 a.m. right here on WMNF Tampa. What about my Taco Tuesday? This ain't the Food Network Ed. Oh. And we're back. Um, if you um, want to hear some more from Jane Goodall, actually, she will be on Talking Animals tomorrow at 11. It's a great show on tomorrow morning at 11, right here on WMNF, and you can hear some more from Jane Goodall.
1: And this is Environmental Awareness uh, Month at WMNF. Uh, a lot of the shows uh, you like to listen to will have an environmental theme. And uh, can't think of anything more important. Uh, environmentally then conserving our seafood cons- that is conserving our marine life really all aspects of that now i didn't you mentioned the apollo beach campus where you do a lot of manatee research is that something or sea that's
2: turtle open- research i'm sorry sea yeah. turtle research yeah. is that open to the uh, to the public yeah it is um, uh, it'll it'll so we just opened up for the 6 month window that the manatee viewing center is open. So if you're you're looking uh, hey, okay. where's the Apollo Beach, you know, Conservation and Research Campus that the Florida Aquarium has and it's on the south end of the property where the Manatee Viewing Center has been for 50 or 60 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, when the Manatee Viewing Center is open, we also open up the campus. So it's that six-month window, usually October through April. Um, so we're probably getting to the point where, you know, the manatees are back out in the water and, you know, it'll it'll slowly um, uh, not be as open. But um, our, we just started after COVID and our, uh, you know, our hope is that it'll be open more to the, the future. Uh, people can come 12 months out of the year and see mangroves and, Walk around nature, but also see the great science and research work we do. And how,
1: how are the sea turtles doing? We talked uh, briefly about manatees, but um, sea yeah, turtles but also stressed or how are they? Yeah,
2: doing? I, well, I, I think I think we everything has those stressors, and how do we adapt to it? And so, yeah, sea turtles, uh, you know, they have their uh, they they have their issues again. From sometimes it's just getting frostbite, and other times it's. Uh, you know getting tangled up in something here locally um, uh, and we're able to to rehabilitate and save that. and how,
1: how do you get engaged with these turtles how does that how does that work somebody so, calls up and says
2: hey i got a sea turtle oh you know it's interesting so so yes uh, there are there are signs all over uh, you know again in florida where we're so interact with our waterways mm-hmm. there are signs everywhere that if you see an animal in distress you know, you can either call directly depending on what that animal is. So we have our direct hotline uh, out there in certain places on piers, but other times it's Florida Fish and Wildlife, FWC. And then once they get a phone call, they contact a local organization to help. So if it's an expertise we have or, you know, we're able to bring in a turtle in this case, we're absolutely do it. If it was a different animal, a bird or something, they may call somebody else. But it really is truly amazing. I think people don't realize how much uh, the government and uh, NGOs and nonprofits and others really work together from an environmental standpoint here in Florida. Um, it's pretty amazing.
0: How many turtles do you have there at any one time?
2: So you can have up. we can, well, <laughs> that's a great question because- It really depends on the size of the turtle. And I'm not trying to be tongue-in-cheek. Like if you Mm -hmm. get a really large, you know, loggerhead turtle, it might be one in a giant tank because you've got to take care of it. And you get some of those dinner-sized, you know, turtles, (laughs) it could be 25.
1: (laughs) Hmm. And do you work closely with Clearwater, your colleagues in in Clearwater? Because they also do a lot of uh, sea turtle work along the Pinellas beaches. I believe they are the ones who are monitoring the nests and trying to protect them to make sure that the sea turtle's
2: Hatch and and get to the water safely. Absolutely no. I th- and, and and going back a little bit earlier is I think people would be amazed at the collaboration that happens in the state of Florida, both with organizations like Clearwater Marine. To your point, whether in government, um, Moat Marine, Marine, we do a lot with them with corals. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There, there really is this amazing network, uh, again, here that I think oftentimes gets overshadowed, maybe taken for granted. Uh, it's great to be able to talk about them on shows like today. There are amazing people, uh, the Nature Conservancy, others who are doing amazing work here, and we're much more collaborative than parochial, um, as you see in other parts of the country. That's and that's really what I think makes Florida, you know, yeah, I mean, our. I think that's why I'm very hopeful that we can stave off any more effects. I did want stuff.
1: to ask, though, uh, we talked briefly about how you know sustainable uh, seafood and thing what can people do i mean we've we've heard messages about recycling and things like that. What can folks do uh, or what should they know about eating seafood that will be responsible in a yeah. responsible way
2: yeah no I I, I I think one is to obviously go to our go to our website and 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 download the seafood watch card. That is a great way you can get the app for it so it 's on your phone that is a great way when you 're out and about to 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 be mindful. I think it 's like anything. Um, really understanding that it's easy. It's e- When I look at conservation, it's easy to say someone else will do it as a human, right? So even yeah. my own self, like, oh yeah, someone's going to recycle. I'm just going to put it here or someone's going to pick up that piece of paper, right? Or someone's going to, someone's going to, but really, you know, I mean, conservation at its purest form starts with us and that self-reflection. So whether it's your seafood choices, whether it's, you know, um, you know, what car you drive, you know, whether it's, Take up straw or not take a straw, whether it's donate to an organization like the Florida Aquarium Mm -hmm. or others, um, we all play a role. And my hope is that especially through this last global pandemic, we realize how connected we are and that we actually can make a difference.
0: That is a great note to end on. Thank you so much for being with us here, Roger. Appreciate it very much. Thanks to all of our listeners. I love uh, the
1: fact that you've gone from a tourist attraction to a conservation organization.
0: Um, and up next is Harrison Nash um, with some great music after the NPR News. This is WMNF Tampa. <laughs>